Welcome to the Sterling Foursquare Church Podcast. Our mission is to offer hope for the broken, lives that are thriving, the equipping of believers, and the launching of leaders. More info can be found at sterlingfoursquare.com. Thank you for joining us today. We are in a series called Teach Us to Pray. You've already heard a couple times that we are participating with Foursquare, our denomination, in 21 days of prayer and fasting. And at the same time, we have focused on a teaching series called Teach Us to Pray so that we could, with confidence and great faith, practice uh, that spiritual expression. Uh, Many of us would be familiar to some degree with the idea of prayer. Uh, Maybe it's something that you do. Maybe it's something that you know you should do, uh, something along those lines. But maybe you haven't put a lot of thought into actually what it is and how we're supposed to go about doing that. Last week, we started the series with the simple premise that prayer can be both simple and powerful. And sometimes we make it too complicated and don't understand how powerful it is. We get those things switched and those need to be reversed. And what I want to do this morning is I want to help you see how uh, to practically and simply go about developing uh, a prayer life. Uh, In fact, sometimes maybe you'll even hear a phrase like that. Someone will say, oh man, in my prayer life, this, and you're like, I don't even know what that means. And it's a very simple expression to say the way that you would go about integrating prayer as a practice in your life and in the way that you would relate to the Lord, that that is what that is referring to. And a lot of times, a lot of times I have found in my own life and just in journeying with people, uh, we talk about prayer, but we haven't put much thought into prayer prayer. In fact, a lot of times we just kind of divert to either we do it or we don't, but we don't think about why, our motivation behind it, and we don't put a lot of thought sometimes into our how, the way that we go about practicing it. Most of us begin to form our thoughts about prayer and then our practices about prayer just based on what we have seen. Right? So you grow up and grandma prays a certain way, and so you think that that's the way that prayer is always in every situation done. Or maybe you grew up in a church, and uh, maybe that was something that you learned there. You saw it modeled, you saw it practiced, and you began to just kind of do it because that's the way that it is done. Anybody fit into that category? What's really interesting is when you start to step back from those types of things, and you start to ask the question that we did last week, how did you learn to do that, and why do you do it that way? And you're left sometimes with kind of some head scratching, and our answer is, well, that's what we've always done. We had our missions mobilizer, Janae, talk a little bit about Thailand. And one of the things that we do when we take a team over there to participate with our missionaries in uh, the work in that region is we always go through training. And one of the funny things about the training is you get, as part of your training, and kind of an invitation to understand how to shake hands. Right now, you and I, we would think that that's pretty straightforward, right? You just put your hand out and you shake it up and down, right? Unless you're not a touchy-feely person, right? And then you might be like, "Mm, I'm going to pass, right? Something like, I'll bump knuckles, something like that. There is an interesting thing that has developed over 
in Thailand because we work particularly with a people group called the Aka. They're an indigenous hill tribe people group uh, in Southeast Asia and in particularly in Thailand. Uh, that's been a focus of much of our interaction up until this point. And when we prepare a team to go over there, we go through a training on how to do a greeting, how to shake hands in Aka. And it's a really interesting thing because uh, it, initially, that wasn't part of the greeting, right? It, it, here, we just always shake hands. I, we've never even stopped to really think about, well, where did that come from? Some of you are going to Google that right now and try to have an answer to me after service. I'm not really that interested. I'm just saying we don't think about it. But at some point, handshaking was introduced to the Aka culture. As a hill tribe culture, one of the things that is a distinguishing trait to them is they are loud talkers. They like to holler and yell. And the reason why that is very practical, living in the hills, you didn't want to walk to the top of the hill to find out if your friend was home, right? You didn't go up there to shake hands. You hollered up to find out if they were there. That's a little bit more practical. But somewhere along the line, handshakes were introduced into kind of the greeting. And particularly where missions teams or when foreign groups would come over, the Aka will look to greet you in that way. And when they shake hands, they'll prepare you for this, and we practice this in our own training, you extend your hand, but you also grab your elbow. So you go like this, and then you shake hands, and as best as you can, you might go through one of the phrases that we might teach you as a greeting, but you always kind of grab the elbow. And I remember asking one of our missionaries over there, why, why do they grab their elbow and they answered with more of a joke than anything. They said, we think it's because the first missionary they ever met had tennis elbow. They really don't have an answer for why they do this. There's no practical reason. They just think somewhere along the line, some missionary got over there and was like, oh, it's nice to meet you and probably had an elbow problem. And then they learned like, well, that's the way that you greet. And so for decades, that's the way that it's done. I don't know if that's true, but that's as plausible as any other answer that you could come up with because they really just don't know. And I share that with you uh, really as just a consideration. There's a lot of things that we do where when you back up far enough, it's just, well, we've always done it that way. And there's not really a reason necessarily to it. And that oftentimes informs our spiritual practices. The way that we would pray, the way that we would worship, the way that we would go about reading or studying God's word, the way that we would interact with sharing our faith. A lot of those things are just learned processes that maybe we haven't thought about and maybe we haven't been intentional with. And the challenge with those is as soon as they are not motivated with purpose, they become kind of rigid and bound and hijacked. They, they lose the life that they are intended. Can I tell you, just as a sidebar, just for a moment, Prayer is supposed to be something that when you engage in it, whew, you come alive. Worship is supposed to be something that when you participate in it, there's like a breath of God that comes into you. Spending time in God's word isn't, su to, isn't supposed to be something that is lifeless and done out of duty. It's not supposed to be part of a checklist. Now, there is discipline in all of those types of things when we're trying to align them into our lives. But primarily, any spiritual practice is supposed to connect me closer to the Lord. And as a result of that, oh, man, I should be coming alive. And so any place in your life where there's a spiritual practice that is not full of vibrant life, you need to start looking at immediately. You need to start thinking, why am I doing this and why is there no life here? Because this was designed to give me life and connect me to the one 
who does that. And so when it comes to this idea of teach us to pray, one of the things that Jesus does is he goes back to the why in many of his teachings, that he digs past the practices and gets to the heart of our motivation. And he wants to spend a little bit of time there pushing on that. And that's what we're going to find today as we turn our attention to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be moving into uh, the book of Matthew. Last week as we began our series, we were in Luke chapter 11. One of Jesus' disciples came to him and said, hey, teach us to pray. And so we looked through uh, that teaching there and the way that Jesus answered that in the very, very simple terms that when we come to the Lord in prayer, that we are to relate to him, that we are to bring our requests that we are to take a time of introspection where we can repent if that's needed and then that we need to respond. If those would be helpful things for you to go a little bit deeper in, you can listen to last week's message. But we're gonna move and look at Matthew chapter five, six, and seven, particularly in chapter six this morning to see how Jesus deals with the motivation of why we pray and then addresses some of the hows that we are to do it. And he does it as he often does by giving us some things not to do, some things to take out, and then some things to correct and add to. And in doing that, there is a process in growth, there's a process in learning and understanding, there's a process in maturity that you see illustrated here. There are times where you need to unlearn something that you have learned. And then there are times where you need to learn something anew. And this is a process of growth. And so as Jesus starts to address some of the things that have gone kind of wonky in prayer as it was being done there, he's saying, hey, let's unlearn this as the only way to understand it. Let's add this to that and in doing so correct it and get back to what God has intended. And so this morning there may be something that the Holy Spirit would challenge you. You need to unlearn there may be something that the Holy Spirit challenges you to learn for maybe the very first time, and there may be something that the Holy Spirit would challenge you to learn anew. I would encourage you to be open to that. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and get that out. Smartphone or tablet, go ahead and open up your Bible app. Lord, we ask that you would prepare our hearts right now for your word. Lord, that you would prepare our hearts right now for your word. Lord, that there are things in it that you would teach us today that we would need to learn. Lord, give us courage uh, to act on those things. Lord, there may be places in our lives and in our spiritual practices that you are going to challenge us to unlearn, that our motivation behind the practices that we're doing, that it's not right, and we've got we've to unlearn that in order to relearn your ways. Lord, your ways always bring life. And Lord, may there be life in our prayer, life in our spiritual practices. In Jesus' name, amen. With your Bibles, go ahead and open to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 is right in the middle of what is understood as the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. If you're interested, you can read uh, all three of those chapters in a sitting this week and go into a little bit deeper study on that. Jesus begins with dealing with kind of the systems of this world and saying that they don't work the way that they were uh, intended or the, they don't work in a way that's aligned with the way that God intends life to be lived. And so he says some funny things like, blessed are the poor in spirit and blessed are those who mourn and blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and blessed are those who are merciful 
merciful, and those are the Beatitudes. Maybe you're familiar about those. He moves on. He starts dealing with kind of some practical ways that people deal with people. He focuses and highlights on some issues from the Ten Commandments and the way that those are being applied. And you'll run into a phrase if you go through this, uh, not to belabor the point, but as, as you begin to go through uh, the Sermon on the Mount, you'll bump into a phrase where he will say, you have heard it said, and then he'll say what they would commonly understand, and then he would turn it and he would say, but I tell you, and then he would add something to it. In that process, you have, this is what you have learned, this is what you need to unlearn, and this is what you need to relearn. It's the same type of a process here where he's bringing correction and growth, and I just love that I get to see Jesus do that in such a practical way. But as he moves into chapter six, and this is where it gets practical for you and I, he moves to begin to address spiritual practices. He begins to highlight three things, two of which we're gonna spend a lot of time on this morning, but he begins to address the idea of giving or generosity, he begins to address the idea or the issue or the practice of prayer, and then he begins to address the, per, uh, the, the practice of fasting. And he begins to bring some correction and some redirection on those, and he begins with addressing the motivation behind the practice. If you remember in Luke chapter 11, when we started last week, the disciples came to him and they said, teach us to pray, and he said, okay, here's a way to do that. Rather than this being something that was initiated and him just answering a simple question like that, he gives more of a teaching in this setting and he addresses the why behind the what we do and the reasons that there needs to be some correction to that. So in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 1, he begins to focus his attention on what we would call spiritual practices. And he begins with this. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So this is what he leads with as he begins this next section. Be careful. It's like alert. I need, hey, wake up. Pay attention to this. Don't practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Now, I want to make sure that I couch this correctly, that I correct maybe an errant thought pattern that can creep in. He's not saying don't practice your acts of righteousness in front of others. He's not saying that you're not supposed to pray in public. He's not saying that you're not supposed to uh, show acts of goodness uh, towards others when you're seen. He's not saying or demanding anonymity in every sense. In fact, if you were going to read all of the Sermon on the Mount, you would know that in chapter 5, he says that you are the salt of the earth, and you are the light on the hill, that you're not to hide your light. In fact, he says, shine your light before all men that they will see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So Jesus isn't contradicting himself now, saying, hope, just teasing. I told you to let your light shine, but now I'm telling you to put it out. He's not saying that. Read the whole sentence. Do not practice your, uh, your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you're a note taker, a highlighter, you should underline that phrase. This is the point. Jesus is addressing the motivation of the heart right there in that statement. Don't do these things. Don't enter into spiritual practices with the motivation of others 
looking at you and saying, whoa, man, they got their lives together. Jesus is addressing the motivation of the heart. In fact, his correction, oftentimes for those who were overtly religious, was, hey, you're doing everything right on the outside, and bravo, that's great, but inside, inside you're a mess. And so he's constantly pushing and correcting the motivation because the motivation that you come to your spiritual practices with will either be something that brings life or death in them. You can be very spiritually practiced in your life and be a person who is bound religiously and very far from the Lord. In fact, you see that illustrated in the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders of the day. Not all of them, but many of them because they were bound up in a religious system of overt activity and they weren't dealing with any of the issues of their heart. And so Jesus is bringing a correction here and this is what is at stake. He wants to deal with our motivation. And our motivation often informs our praxis. That means the way that you do stuff. The thing that you believe or the reason that you are motivated to act, it will, it will taint or influence the things that you do. And it will be something that, it does that in the way that we interact with people, and it certainly has a way of creeping in and doing that in the way that we would relate to the Lord. And we're going to see that in just a moment. So let's, let's go ahead and continue on, and we're going to move to Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 5 as Jesus begins to talk about prayer. And so specifically, the spiritual practice of prayer, as we've been focusing on 21 days of prayer and fasting, this is something that immediately is helpful for you and I as we begin to either take baby steps into developing a practice of prayer in our relationship with the Lord, or whether we uh, are taking bigger steps to grow and to mature, to move forward into that area. So Jesus leads with this. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, you go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. And then he'll move out of that in verse 6 and say, This then is how you should pray. We'll get to that in just a moment. As Jesus begins to shift his attention and his focus to the practice of prayer, what's very interesting is he begins with, Don't do it this way. Right? He's not like in Luke 11 answering the, hey, how should we do this? And starting right there with the answer. He's bringing some correction to what they were seeing and what they were understanding as being the correct way to do things. He leads with, hey, you have to unlearn some stuff about what you think prayer looks like and how it ends up being practiced. And so he begins with two do nots. Two do nots. And so as we are in 21 days of prayer and fasting, if you are learning, if you're beginning to kind of journey with us, or maybe each day you've been signing on and you've been doing, all right, I'm praying for this today, I'm praying for this today, and you're getting kind of good at it, here's some caveats that Jesus would bring where he would say, hey, make sure you don't do it like this. Don't do it like this. And the first one is do not pray for validation. Don't, don't pray for validation. He leads with, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. Now, nobody wants to be called a hypocrite. 
right? And every believer of Jesus has probably been called a hypocrite by somebody, right? In fact, that is oftentimes the, the word that is levied against people who would be lovers of God or followers of Jesus, right? You say this, but you do that. Can I tell you that missing the mark or, or, or not acting up to what you would indicate would be the desire of your heart, that's not hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is literally doing the opposite of what you have always uh, intended to do, but you're doing it intentionally to deceive others. The word in the Greek was a theater word. The word comes from a Greek word that means to put on a mask. Okay, there's a difference between you saying, man, I love Jesus, but sometimes I mess up and I'm gonna put on a mask and pretend to be something that I'm not. And so Jesus is calling out He's calling out some spiritual practices that were being done through the motivation of I'm gonna pretend to be something that I'm not in order for others to validate me. Oh, look at them and look at what they're doing. He says, don't, don't do it that way. See, the practice of standing in the synagogue and praying out loud in and of itself was not harmful. It was benign. There wasn't anything wrong with that. But motivated by I'm going to stand and make a scene and cause others to look at me and to affirm something that really isn't true of me because I'm looking for their validation, that's what Jesus is addressing. There wasn't anything overtly wrong with praying on the street corner. See, Jesus isn't saying don't pray in public, don't pray out loud, don't any, let anybody know that you're praying. He actually, what, prayed in public and did it out loud and demonstrated the power of the kingdom of God through miracles as a result of that. He certainly wouldn't be contradicting his own practice, but the motivation is what he is highlighting. Don't do any of these things in a way where you're trying to get validation from man. There's no life in that. See, some of you are afraid to pray because you're afraid of what someone will think. Some of you have been asked, it is likely, I don't know this, this isn't a spiritual epiphany, but it is likely that some of you have been asked by friends or coworkers to pray for them and you would say, I will, and you will do it in private, but you wouldn't do it out loud in the workplace or at Walmart because you are afraid of what somebody might think or what somebody might hear. Some of us are afraid to pray because we don't think that we're gonna get the words right, that we don't know enough, that we're not close enough to Jesus to somehow have our words affect his heart. See, all of those things are a perversion of a validation that has crept in that says that you're not good enough to participate in the things of the kingdom of God. It's a lie. It's an absolute lie. Some of us are tempted to pray in a way where we draw great attention to ourselves, because we know the truth of our lives and rather than dealing with the sin and the brokenness, we just want man to say we're good enough the way that we are. That's what Jesus is addressing here. He's getting to the heart. He's getting to the motivation. He's unmasking those things and drawing those to the surface. And so when he begins to direct them to go and pray in a room and close the door and do that in secret, he's not saying that you're not supposed to let your light shine, that you're not supposed to pray in public. He's not saying that you're not supposed to pray out loud or pray with other people. That directly contradicts all of the way that the people of God comes together and offers worship to him. 
But what he is saying is that it's better to go do that intimately and authentically than to do any of the overt spiritual practices in the wrong motivation. The wrong motivation will steal the life out of those things. And even if you get the validation of man as a result of that, it will still be an empty spirituality that you are experiencing. And so he's pushing on that. And then he moves from this idea of not uh, praying for validation. He couples it with not praying with manipulation. Look at this. He says, when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. Sometimes we are tempted to pray longer and more eloquently than is necessary especially when we're praying with others and we think we need their validation. And especially when we don't feel very good about ourselves and we think that if we get it right, that God will have pleasure in us. This idea that somehow if I get all the words right and if I say it correctly and if I do it in the right timing and with the right cadence, that God is going to be like, ooh, that was a really good prayer, and I'm going to respond to that. It's sometimes the reasons that we'll go to somebody else who we perceive as being more eloquent th than us or more spiritual than us, and we'll say, hey, will you pray for me instead of bringing our own requests to the Lord, with, instead of just coming to our daddy God and saying, hey, dad, I, I need your help here. We suffer under this, and there's a, a, a way that we can end up being uh, manipulative in the way that we pray, where we try to kind of put on airs in it. My thoughts on this, I wrote this in, in, in consideration of that. Sometimes we are purposely wordy, verbose, eloquent, or loquacious with the thought that God will be moved by our oration or declamation. Pastor, we didn't need all of that. Neither does your Heavenly Father. He, he doesn't need all of that. Now, there's validity to, to, to writing with eloquence. There's validity to, to being honoring to the Lord. There, there is great worth in times in scripting or journaling your prayer, but the motivation is what God is looking at. He's looking at your heart. And so we, we do that in a way because I want to be really precise in what I'm entreating of the Lord, and I want to be honoring of Him, and I want to show devotion to Him. That is awesome. If you think that you need to talk him into doing something that he's already said that he is going to do, or if you need to do it in pretense for others to look at you and say you're okay, that's horrible. And Jesus would say, you've missed it. Don't do any of that. It's better to go just grovel in your closet authentically and honestly before the Lord than it is to do any of those other extra things. You don't need those. And when we buy into this idea that we have to be eloquent or that we have to be uh, an orator in order to pray, in order for God to hear us, if we have to say it the right way in the right kind of cadence and with the right type of, of eloquence to get God's attention, listen to me, that is less prayerful and more about like pagan incantation. It's the way that all of the spiritist type of movements in the world work, that you have to say the spell correctly to get the effect. That's all bogus. Jesus is dismantling all of those types of things, all of that pseudo-spirituality that would suck the life out of your relationship with the Lord and lead you into a place of bondage. He's dismantling all of that and saying, hey, don't, don't do those things. Don't pray for validation. Don't pray with manipulation. And then he says, this then is how you should pray. And I'm going to read this really quickly because last week I read Luke 11 and kind of the abbreviated Lord's Prayer that, that Luke has there. And some of you were like, man, I didn't get all the words from it. And I just want to make sure that you hear all of them. And so it's settled in your heart, 
right? This then is how you should pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And so in this, again, we talked about this, we unpacked this kind of this template last week that we relate to our Heavenly Father, that we bring our requests, that we take a time to, of introspection where we repent and receive forgiveness, and then we respond to the way that He would lead us. It's the same thing here, it's just got a little bit more verbiage around it. But ultimately, the do pray is this, pray to your Father intimately, personally, and authentically. So when Jesus begins to address his teaching on prayer here, he says, hey, unlearn this model. Unlearn this model that says that you have to pray in order to get man's validation. Don't do that. Unlearn this model that says you have to pray in a certain way to manipulate your Father God. Don't do that. But instead, go in privacy and in intimacy and speak to your Heavenly Father and begin to pray intimately, personally, and authentically. Listen to me, you guys can all do that. We can all do that. We can all be personal in the way that we would relate to God, and we can all be honest and authentic before him. And you don't have to be an orator. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to ha know all of the words and all of the things to know God. You begin with that relationship with him. You can learn all that other stuff as you're learning to know who he is. That's the beautiful thing about your creator. So we pray with intimately, personally, and authentically, and that can be done, listen, that can be done in public, that can be done in a group, that can be done alone. And so Jesus is bringing a correction here, he wants to get to the why. Why do you shake hands holding your elbow? Well, I don't know, I'm just, then don't do it that way. Let's learn a new way to do it. And he moves right from there to talking about fasting, and he does the same thing with that, and so let's look at verse 16. He says, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Again, Jesus is dealing with the motivation of why we would do that to begin with. He's not saying that it is inappropriate for you uh, to fast in a way that others would know about. It doesn't have to be like a super secret that you somehow guard and keep safe. But what he is saying is that you don't promote that and you don't present it in a way where you're looking for compliments. And you guys, we live in a world of social media where that's always the case. Always the case. You get somebody who has a new jacket, they, they, they put it on, they pose, they put the light on themselves, they have a friend take the photo shot, and then in the caption they say, oh, I don't think I look very good today. And you're like, bro, you spent 45 minutes staging that picture. You know it's the best you've looked in six months, and you're just looking for me to say, no, like, you look all right. Like, for, like we, we do a lot of that stuff. With this idea of fasting, man, my kids, if you had my kids come to you and ask you for food that they wanted, the way that they look, you would think they've never eaten food in their life. They suck their face in, they're all emaciated. Oh, dad, I'm so hungry, right? And then you offer them like a healthy choice and it's like, nah, I'm good. They walk right out of there, right? Jesus is saying, don't do that. 
When you, when you fast something, don't make a big deal out of it, trying to get encouragement or accolades or pats on the back. Don't look for likes from this world. Just honestly, out of devotion to the Lord, fast in a way that draws you closer to him. And I do want to answer the question of, of what fasting is and how that's done. Just as, as we're walking through this, we've had a lot of people ask questions. Most often in scripture, when it talks about fasting, it talks about fasting food. Right, either foregoing a certain type of food or going without food altogether for a certain duration of time. It's almost always coupled with prayer. In fact, I would go as almost as far to say that if you fast food, but you don't add some type of prayer or connection to the Lord, all you're doing is a poor man's diet, right? You just a little short this month and I'm not gonna eat today. Like the whole goal of any type of fast is to make room for you to connect with the Lord and it's done out of devotion. The motivation is I'm gonna draw closer to the Lord in this. The other thing is, is that in scripture, one of the reasons why food is primarily the thing that you ever see fasted is because that was the one thing that everybody kind of had that they could give up, right? You weren't fasting entertainment in the New Testament, right? There's not a lot going on. You weren't, you weren't giving up a, a, a lot of extras. There wasn't a lot of extra. See, it's a, it's a weird thing in the time that we live in in the affluence of our nation where like to give up food, like we've got enough reserves in our bodies right now to be able to give up food and be mildly discomforted by it. It's, it's way different. In fact, for many of you, it would be harder for you to give up your phone for six hours than it would for you to give up food for a day. Why is that? Because of the place that it holds in our life. And that's not an indictment on the phone versus food. It's, it's none of those things. Fasting is identifying something in your life that has a primary focal point and saying, I'm going to put it aside for this amount of time and whenever I'm prone to be like, oh, I need to check my phone, I'm going to check in with the Lord. Oh, it's lunchtime. I'm going to check in with the Lord. And that can be for a moment, that can be for a day, that can be for 21 days. Like, the time variant needs to be motivated by the way that you're trying to connect to the Lord. And so with 21 days of prayer and fasting, pastor, I don't know how to pray. Good, take a baby step today and start learning. Man, I've never fasted, and I don't know if I could go 21 days without eating. Same. Don't. It's not healthy. Take a baby step. I'm going to close with this example. Like, we're doing this with our kids. So my kids are learning. And just like you, there's things that they need to unlearn. There's things that they need to learn. And there's things that they need to relearn. And that's all of us as we kind of grow and go in our relationship with Jesus. And so the way that we are making this work with our family is we have integrated into the way that we already live our life. So in the morning when I take the kids to school, I have to drive them and we're all together in the vehicle. And so when we get into the car, we get the 21 days of prayer and fasting, email up and we read the Bible verse. Somebody reads it out loud. Sometimes me, I recognize that that's dangerous, but I'm like, Jesus, take the wheel. I think that that's okay, right? Isn't that how that faith needs to be expressed? But we read the Bible verse, somebody reads the focus of how we're supposed to pray, and then we each just take a moment to pray. And we pray different, and we're at different levels of understanding of who God is and how to do that, but we just, we do that together. 
And then here's the question that I ask. We ask this collectively. Are you going to fast today? And it's a yes or no. You don't have to do it all the time. It's not a requirement. It's not a mandate. Jesus does when he's teaching about this. He says, when you pray, do it this way. When you fast, do it this way. There is an expectation that followers of Jesus would pray and fast. It it needs to be part of our spiritual practices because of the way that aligns us with the direction of the Lord in our lives, aligns us with the move of the kingdom of God. But the when and the how should be first and foremost informed by your motivation. Don't do it with the wrong motivation. And so with my kids, they don't need to have religious duty stricturing the life out of loving Jesus in them. The, the biggest failure that I could have as a, as, a, as a dad would be to lead a church that loved Jesus and have kids that didn't because of the way that I led my church. And so I'm very careful with them. Are you going to fast today? Sometimes it's yes, sometimes it's no. And then what are you going to fast? I let them choose. One of my kids chose to fast television. I'm not going to watch TV today. I thought that that was a great idea. They got on their iPad later, so I don't know. I mean, you know, it, was, it wasn't like an all or nothing, right? It was like this one thing, right? I had one of my kids who said, I'm not going to eat snack at school. And that might not seem like a big deal to you until you learn that their love language is literally snacks. They came home from school, and I said, hey, how'd it go? And I just, wanted to, I just wanted an overview of how was your day, and this is what they led with. It was so hard. My friend ate goldfish crackers in my face at snack, and I almost died. <laughs> almost died, like, you've got snacks on the way home. Dad's got you. We're good. The point, though, they're learning how to do that. And instead of watching TV in that time, my, uh, my, my son was challenged to spend a moment in prayer and to acknowledge the Lord. Instead of eating snack, my son was challenged to just, hey, remember in that midpoint in the day, just, just check in with Jesus. And that, that's as simple as it is. And if you're motivated by just connecting with the Lord, these types of things, man, they give you life. And you'll grow and you'll develop. You'll have all kinds of maturity that comes as a result. But if you're motivated by anything else, if you're motivated by a fear that keeps you from them or a desire for the validation of others or manipulation that's leading it, like it'll, you could be practicing these things every day and there'll be no life in them for you. So we allow Jesus to draw us to this place. We draw Jesus to allow us to this place where we're responding to him intentionally, that we know why we're doing what we're doing We've chosen how we're going to do it, and we're motivated by a heart to connect with the Lord. Church family, if you would stand. Worship team, if you would come forward. As they make their way forward, I'm going to ask you just a series of questions, and this is just a, a time for the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. If it would be appropriate for you to close your eyes just as a way of keeping out distractions, that would be okay. But I want you to think about this. When it comes to prayer, and when it comes to fasting, doing that in your life, what is something that you need to learn? What what is something that you need to learn? Maybe you've never done either of those things with any intention or any purpose. What would be a baby step that you would begin to learn, just like I'm teaching my kids in the car? What would the Holy Spirit draw to your attention? The other question for you would be, what do you need to unlearn? 
what has been modeled or what has been a part of your common practice that doesn't have life in it because of the way that it found itself expressed, the way that it was learned. What, what needs to be unlearned and maybe set aside? It's not wholly uh, a, a wrong thing on its own, but it's tied to a perverted motivation, something that is sucking the life out of your relationship with Jesus, not breathing the spirit of life into it. What do you need to unlearn? And then what might you need to learn new, afresh, something, something that has maybe been forgotten and needs to be repurposed into practice? Lord, would you do a work in our hearts right now for each person here and the homes that they represent? These answers are varied. Lord, some of us need to have the courage and the faith to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn how to pray. I'm going to take a step of faith, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to fast. Lord, knowing that there's grace in just even fumbling our way forward. Lord, some of my friends here need to relearn something. There's things that they've learned, patterns and motivations that they have received and have affirmed in their lives that they, they need to be removed. They're striving for validation from others. They're striving for validation from you, Lord. They don't already see themselves as loved and accepted. Lord, would you help them to unlearn that sense of condemnation and to learn the freedom and the grace that is theirs in Jesus? And Lord, some of my friends need to learn anew, fresh, a sense of life into their spiritual practices. Lord, meet each of us in the place that we are and give us the courage to respond to your leading that we would move forward into the things that you would lead us into. Beginning this week, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, I got three action steps for you this week and the first one is just to encourage you if you haven't to sign up for 21 days of prayer and fasting. I know that you could be like, I've already missed a week. All right, then don't miss the next two weeks. It's never too late to say yes to moving forward in your journey with Jesus. Number two, choose one day. Everybody say one day. Just choose one day and one thing to fast and make time to pray when you do that. And then number three, when you pray, pray simply, honestly, and earnestly to your heavenly Father.